0: Fantastic. Thank you, Mavis, very much indeed. And uh, do keep that reading from John chapter 12 open in front of you, if you can, for the next few minutes as we have a think about it together. That would be really helpful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, that you're a God who speaks to us, that you are with us as we gather here this morning. And we pray that you'd give us open hearts and open minds to hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, um, can I add my welcome to that of Tom earlier on? It's really good to, to see you here. Welcome to those who may be watching online. Um, how do you smell this morning? Uh, I wonder what you did to make yourself smell nice before you came to church. This is not a test. You don't have to own up, but I'm guessing there'll be some here who've gone for the aftershave uh, or maybe some perfume. Others might, it might just have been a quick spray of right guard or links, I don't know, around the room. Um, or I wonder what's the most you've ever spent on something to make you smell nice? or maybe on something to make someone else smell nice. It's interesting that perfume is often a gift, isn't it? We stop to think about that one. Uh, We can spend as much as we like on fragrances, can't we? Uh, If you have a quick look, I think whatever your budget, you could probably spend it. But here in John chapter 12, uh, we have got Mary emptying this jar of perfume over Jesus and wiping his feet. And John tells us it was worth 300 denarii. And that is a serious investment because that amounts to pretty much a whole year's wages. I don't know what you earn in a year, but imagine spending that on perfume. Judas is horrified, isn't he? Jesus welcomes what Mary has done. And this strange and challenging passage, I think, is a great place for us to land at the end of these uh, three weeks, isn't it, as we've been reflecting on what the Bible has to say to us about giving generously and joyfully. Uh, Here's the story. It's nearly Passover time, verse one tells us, uh, that great festival to celebrate how God rescued his people. It's just a few days now before Jesus will go to his death. And at the end of chapter 11, we're told people are arriving in Jerusalem from all over the place, uh, gathering for the festival. Uh, arriving a few days early to go through all the the ceremonial cleansing that was required, verse 55 tells us. But there's no sign of Jesus yet. In fact, we're told in verse 57 that the chief priests and many of the religious leaders were on the lookout for him. But six days before the Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany. And that's just a, a couple of miles out to the east of Jerusalem, over the hill known as the Mount of Olives. And he comes to the home of his friends, the family of Lazarus, who he's recently raised from the dead there in chapter 11, and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And John tells us in verse 2 that a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Matthew and Mark tell us more about this this account in their Gospels. Mark includes the detail that the the dinner was held at the home of a man called Simon the leper. Maybe he was part of the same family as Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Um, Maybe not, we don't know for sure. Uh, But Martha was one of those serving the food. Lazarus was one of those at the table with Jesus. And then we get to verse 3. And this verse is the heart of this story, isn't it? Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. We've already noticed how expensive this perfume was. It was an enormous amount of money that it was worth. Uh, Maybe Mary and her family were very wealthy. Um, Perhaps more likely, they were just an ordinary family, and this was perhaps some sort of heirloom that had been passed down to Mary. We don't know for sure. But either way, Mary pours all of it over Jesus. Uh, John particularly highlights that she pours it on his feet, for reasons we'll come to in just a moment but there's no reason to assume that some of it wasn't poured on other parts of Jesus as well. And in fact, both Matthew and Mark highlight that at least some of it went over his head. But the whole house is filled with this fragrance of the perfume, the result of this huge, shocking, generous, dramatic thing that Mary has done. Now, as I said, some of the people there are not happy uh, Matthew mentions several. John particularly highlights Judas and his reaction as he says, well, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And on the surface, that sounds like a plausible argument, doesn't it? Oh, maybe reasonable. It picks up on an obvious danger, you know, the temptation to be extravagant and, and selfish with whatever we have, whether it's a lot or whether it's just a bit. If that was what Mary was doing here, then maybe Judas has a point. But it's not. It's not at all. Mary is being quite the opposite of selfish here, isn't she? She's taking presumably the most valuable thing she has and she's giving it to Jesus in a form of worship. There's nothing selfish about it. And second, as John dryly points out in verse 6, Judas didn't actually care about the poor at all. Um, He was the one who looked after the, the disciples' funds and like to help himself from the bag from time to time. So Judas is just thinking about what he's potentially losing out on here, as Mary blows the lot on Jesus and his feet. Uh, what he says is even more empty when we see the reaction of Jesus in verses 7 and 8. Leave her alone, he says. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with me, but you will not always have me. I reckon there are two things uh, of the great significance of what Mary is doing here that Jesus picks up on in what he says there. First of all, that her, her act of pouring this perfume is symbolic of what Jesus is about to do. Uh, what Mary does points ahead just a few days to Jesus' death. Not that she's intending to prefigure what's going to happen, Not that she necessarily understands that the cross is coming in advance, it seems that most of the disciples were quite confused about that, but it's a a simple act of love and devotion uh, of this perfume and what she does uh, points forward to what Joseph of Arimathea will do as he anoints Jesus' body in John chapter 19 as it is buried in the tomb. The second way in which Mary, Mary and her action points us to what Jesus is up to comes in the second part of his response. You'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Uh, a reminder here that caring for the poor, that generosity and love to those who are in need, who have less, is it's, it's always a continuing call and a responsibility for God's people. That's true right through the Bible. Start in the Old Testament law, and there is a call to care for those who have need. Um, what Mary is doing here in no way takes away from that. Judas is wrong. Her actions are right and generous and beautiful, because soon Jesus will be gone. The work of, the poor, of caring for the poor will continue but there is nothing more appropriate than to honour him while he is present here, as he says. Of course, what Jesus does say here would be hugely arrogant if you or I were to say it, or in fact, if anyone other than Jesus were to say it. Do not give to the poor. Uh, Don't give this to the poor. Take this opportunity to lavish it on me. It would be hugely arrogant for Jesus to say that of himself, unless he really is who he has shown himself to be, who he's been explaining that he is over the last 11 chapters of the gospel. For example, back in chapter 5 verse 23, where he says, all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. If this is who Jesus is, then yes, you're right, Mary. Pour out your love and devotion on him. That's the best thing you could do. And so in all of these things, Mary is a great example to us, Uh, just as she was when she sat to learn at Jesus' feet in that other famous passage in Luke's Gospel, Uh, just as she is in her response of faith when her brother Lazarus dies in John chapter 11. Um, It's worth noticing two contrasts in particular that come out of this passage. Um, First of all, the contrast between Mary and the Pharisees and chief priests. Uh, those people who were the religious leaders of their day. Um, throughout the gospel, they've gradually become more and more aware of what Jesus is up to. And after the resurrection of Lazarus, they've had enough. If you just glance back a few verses, uh, chapter 11, verse 53, we're told, so from that day onwards, they plotted to take Jesus' life. That's their response to what Jesus is doing, his power and his love. But straight afterwards, can't be an accident, in direct contrast, we get. Mary. They want to kill Jesus, she just wants to love him. Why? I guess it's because she's been changed, hasn't she? She's been transformed by the encounter that she has had with him. She's experienced something of his power and his love for herself, and she is no longer the same. And her response of love is just to give him everything she can. So there's this huge contrast between the religious leaders, and Mary. The second one, looking ahead into the next chapter, chapter 13, is the contrast between Mary and the rest of the disciples. Um, And this is what I mentioned a few moments ago. Um, Matthew and Mark tell us that Mary anointed Jesus' head. John highlights his feet. Why is that? I don't think it's an accident. If you read the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, both of them are particularly wanting to emphasize the point that Jesus is the King that everyone has been waiting for. Um, kings were anointed our queen was still anointed wasn't she when she was um, crowned 70 years ago uh, and anointed on their heads and so Matthew and Mark really want to make sure that we understand that that happened John's gospel is a bit different he's more interested in something else in fact his whole gospel has been about Jesus the word of God who came down from heaven stepped down into the darkness of the world and don't we know it's a dark world who became flesh, became like you and I, and dwelt among us. This king who stooped down low, even going as low as the cross. If you want to go low, then anointing someone's feet is just about the most humble, symbolic thing that you could do. Wiping their feet with your hair, perhaps even more so. Such a powerful symbol of humbling, devotion and love. Completely uncaring about the cost, completely uncaring about what everyone else might be saying about you as you did it. But that's what Mary does, isn't it? And if you turn on to chapter 13, it's what Jesus does in the next chapter as he points to the cross by getting down on his knees and washing his disciples' feet. And if you know that passage, you'll know they don't like it at first because they think it's inappropriate. But Jesus needs to teach them what it looks like to follow him. Mary's ahead of them. She's got there already, hasn't she? She doesn't care. She understands and she just pours out this love and this service to her Lord who she has come to love. And we're told, again, verse 3, that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In fact, in Mark's account, Jesus goes even further. The fragrance of what Mary has done, Mark says, or Jesus says in Mark, will not only fill the house... Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Well, that's what we're doing today, isn't it? Absolutely true. So, what does it mean to be, to be generous and joyful followers of Jesus? I want to suggest we need to look no further than Mary. It is all about uh, actions of love and worship bubbling up out of us because we, we understand and appreciate more and more just how much Jesus has cared for us and loved us. Mary loves Jesus because he has changed her and she expresses that love in her joyful generosity as she pours the perfume on his feet. What does this mean for us as we think about our own response to Jesus and our own giving, both financial and in other ways? Well, there's a short booklet which uh, I read a while ago by someone called Jonathan Farnhill where he offers a bunch of reflections on Mary's actions here and the ways in which she models generosity. There isn't time to to tell you all the things that he says. But he helpfully picks out some of the ways in which Mary models generosity, which are helpful to us. Um, First of all, that she is generous with her time and her attention. Um, No doubt there were other things she could usefully have done with her time. Maybe there were urgent things. Uh, maybe there was help that was needed in serving the food. And I guess Judas's comments are kind of getting at this, aren't they? But Mary instinctively knows that there are things that matter more. And she doesn't use this time for other things. She sets this time to focus completely on Jesus. And she gives what she's doing her undivided attention. No doubt people are protesting uh, maybe mocking or jeering at her, but she just focuses on what it is that she is there to do, to worship Jesus and to anoint him. Time and attention are gifts, aren't they? Time is a rare and precious commodity. We are called to be generous with it. Uh, I'm always challenged when I discover that I've given the impression that I'm too busy for someone, because I'm not too busy, i um, I've got choices to make about how I use my time, and we all do. Um, second thing is that Mary is obviously generous with what she has, her resources, her, her material, her possessions, her wealth. Um, if you were here last week, Dick was preaching, and, and he reminded us that perhaps the biggest sign of growing dis- discipleship in our lives is when we move from asking ourselves how much of our money we should give away to asking ourselves how much of God's money we should keep for ourselves. Mary sees what she has as belonging to Jesus. She's only giving back what is already his. A gift worth a year's salary, pretty generous, isn't it? Some might say it's foolish. But it's a response to the man who turned 600 litres of water into wine. A lavish demonstration of celebration for a wedding. A response to the man who feeds 5,000 people and creates so much food, there's 12 baskets left over a God of plenty, the response to the man who is ultimately generous enough to go to the cross. In that perspective, I want to say Mary's response is entirely understandable, but hugely challenging nonetheless. What do we own? What do we consider most valuable? Will we keep it? And what does it mean to give it to Jesus or to put it in his service? Those are the kinds of things we've all got to wrestle with in our own unique circumstances. And then lastly, I think it's also worth noting, as Mary was generous with uh, what she has and with her time and attention, she's also generous with her reputation here, isn't she? It's not nice being embarrassed or of having attention drawn to you, especially if people are mocking or scornful. Our natural tendency as Christians, as people really, isn't it, is to want to try and avoid that. We want people just to think, you know, we're good, normal people. But sometimes following Jesus means not worrying too much about what other people think. The disciples were horrified by what Mary did, we're told in the other Gospels. Uh, And we hear about what Judas says here in John. But she was willing to be judged and criticized because her love for Jesus mattered more in almost every way we can think of Mary is generous here caring little about what is hers what she has what is most valuable she's known the love of Jesus and she wants to give back and to worship him and so she's a great example for us as we come to the end of this series of Christian worship and joy and love and generosity to think on and to act on Now, of course, I'm saying these things today in the context of thinking about our financial giving at St. Luke's particularly. Um, That's an important thing for us to do as members of the church, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a few moments' time. But I want to just focus for a moment as I close on this thought that it also goes deeper than that. Because Mary's generosity really only highlights more the generosity of Jesus, her Lord. It's his love that she's responding to in what she does here. The source of her generosity is her love for the one who loved her first and honoured her first, the same one who has loved us and called us to be his people. How do we respond to him? Let's just be quiet and pray for a moment. And in the quiet, you might like to just take a moment to reflect on the ways in which Jesus has shown his love to you. And then I'll lead us in a short prayer. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that as you step down into your world, everything about your coming was about demonstrating your kindness and your love as you called people to yourself. Thank you that you have poured out your love on us as Mary poured out that perfume on your feet. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be at work in us, changing us as you changed Mary, that we might live lives of gratitude and of joy as we follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.